0: The word of God says in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 and 13 for the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart Father God, we pray that your word would be sharp with us this morning. Even though sometimes that makes us fearful, we understand that it's important, and we hope that as we leave here this morning, we understand more deeply what your word means to us today. Amen? Well, let's look at Hebrews 4 together. I hope you've got your Bible and you can open up to these verses. We're going to do a little bit of review. First of all... um, According to chapter four, which we looked at last week, the, the aim in life that the, the preacher here wants us to understand is to enter into God's rest. So if you want to know more about that, listen to last week's message about the rest of God, what God's rest actually is. But I'll just give you a little, a little glimpse back into that. It is a restored relationship with God our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord what communion was all about. uh, Remembering that. It starts our rest now that we rest in him even now in this life, but it leads to an eternal rest with him, which is the great Sabbath, uh, the great celebration that is waiting for us uh, in his presence forevermore. The way in which we enter into this rest is through belief, through faith, through trusting in God. Not just in a general sense, but trusting in his words, in the things that he has said to us and promised us. So what does belief look like? Well, it's simply hearing God's word, reading it or hearing it preached, and then following it, obeying it, shaping our lives around it, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes. God's word is the key for joy and peace or rest, even today. It is the secret to true freedom from bondage to sin. The word of God is a blessing when we trust it and we follow it each day. It actually tells us how we can escape the chains of sin, the bondage of our problems in this life. But it can only impact us if we live by faith in it, as we live it out. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 is, is important. It tells us uh, very, very concisely uh, about this. So I'm just going to turn there for a moment. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently or carefully into the word, into the perfect law of God, he finds freedom. And continuing to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in whatever he does. It is important for us to understand the dynamic of God's word. And not only on Sunday morning when we come together and hear somebody preach to you about it, but every day of the week, every day we must put some effort into remembering God's word, reminding ourselves and each other of God's word, because it is living. And if we fail, like the story of the Israelites, if we fail to believe and follow God's word, we will not enter God's rest. So Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish By following the example of those in the Old Testament of disobedience. So our verse this morning is just two, but I want us to really ask the Lord to open up our minds and hearts to understand. Often these verses are quoted without the context, but now you have the context. We've been following along with the story from the Old Testament, which helped us to see what not to do. And here is why. Why do we need to put our faith and belief in the word of God? Why do do we need to follow and make every effort to apply it into our lives and to live? Let me read these verses for you again. For because, or the reason that, is the word of God. It is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Verse 13 Nothing in all creation is hidden from the sight of God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. You see, these verses are the reason why those who didn't enter the rest didn't enter. Remember back in, in verse 2 of chapter 4, they had this gospel preached to them, but the message that they heard was of no value to them. They didn't, they didn't make any, any big deal of it. See, the preacher here, he loves his people. He loves his congregation. The the, the preacher who preached this sermon in Hebrews and wrote it down for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was very concerned that his church, his people that God had put over him would see the importance of God's word. When God speaks, whether he speaks the written word Or he speaks through Christ, his son, the living word. It is different from the words of any other man or woman who has ever lived. We have to remember that. We have to hold on to that. And verses 12 and 13 has described graphically the difference between God's word and every other word that's ever been spoken or written. Now let's not forget that Jesus is the word, right? The Gospel of John begins that way. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When it speaks of Jesus, it's the Word of God coming and and revealing to us as the exact representation of God. In fact, if you remember in Hebrews chapter 1, it says the Son, in verse 3, Christ, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things By his powerful word. The word of God sustains all things. It's hard for us to imagine because words are everywhere, right? We're we're talking words, we're speaking words, we're hearing words all the time. And so we, we don't think a big deal of them. But these words are different. These words are alive. These words are active, are effective. So as we think about the word of God, please look at these These verses, 12 and 13. You can look in your own Bible. We're not going to keep this slide up the whole time, but I want you to follow along. So if you can pull it up, or if you can open up a Bible and follow along, just these two verses here, I want you to let them sink in to your soul. So the first thing that we realize when we look at these verses is it says that God's Word is alive, it's living, it's a living Word, it's not dead. It's not dusty old thing. You know, you may have let it get dusty, but it is not dusty. So the next slide, Andrea, is is, is that it's living. It's not a dead word. It's always working its message in this world. God's word, word will not return void, the prophets told us. God's word of rest is not dead and meaningless. It is... An alive promise to us, a living life with God as a believer, is based on God's word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, We also thank God because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human words, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Do you know that the word of God is at work in you right now? And when you leave church, it's going to keep working. And he'll be working, working, working 24-7, even when you're sleeping. Because God, in, in, in the believer's life, God uses his word to shape us and change us and form us. Because his word is alive. And he brings that life to us through his word. The next point is God's word is active. Or another translation says effective. Right? It's Effective. It makes a difference. It's not like other words that, you know, you can hear them a million times. They don't make any difference in your life. God's word makes a difference because it's active. It's powerful. In fact, the word there, the Greek word is the same word that we get the word energize from. God's word energizes. If you will place your faith in God's word, it will be able to work in you and energize you. It will change your life. When we believe God's word and obey him, God releases power, divine energy that then works in our lives and through our lives to fulfill his purposes. You're not doing that on your own. It's not your own strength. It's the strength of the word of God, the energy of God as it works its way out through you. The truth of God is like good medicine that will continue to heal our sin sick souls so long as we continue to receive it by faith. You go to the doctor, say I'm sick, he gives you a prescription for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. He doesn't expect you to take one and throw it away. His expectation is you keep taking it. Every morning, take one, take one, take one. And as it has an effect on you, your sickness will go away. Your sin will no longer be in control. You will no longer be captive by that. God's word heals our sin-sick souls. But we must apply it by faith, receive it by faith, and apply it to our lives. So now we get to this this next point, which is about how sharp it is. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not as sharp as a two-edged sword. It's sharper. It's the sharpest thing you can imagine. Maybe a scalpel that's really, you know, really sharpened to, to its extent, you know, the full extent. The emphasis in this passage is on the fact that this two-edged sword is sharp. Now, when something's sharp, you pay attention, right? If you're over at my house and we're chopping vegetables and I say, here, here's my sharpest knife, you don't just grab the blade with your bare hand. You you realize like, "Ooh, this is important. I shouldn't just be... Uh, messy with this. I shouldn't just be careless with this. I should treat it with some respect. God's word is sharp. In comparison, God's word is even sharper because it can divide and make distinctions between things that we generally think are too closely related and are indistinguishable. Your soul and your spirit, the passage says. Now, we've had discussions here at church. We we do often in Bible studies and stuff, trying to discern, what's the difference between my soul and my spirit? Not not the spirit, the Holy Spirit, but my spirit. Because throughout scripture, they're interchanged. Your soul and your spirit. But God's word can distinguish between them. He knows and he can show us. But here's another thing that's hard to distinguish between. A person's thoughts and attitudes. Thoughts and attitudes remind me of like the chicken and the egg. Like which came first, my attitude or my thoughts? Which one is feeding the other? My my thoughts or my attitudes, the chicken or the egg, right? I can't always distinguish that. My motives for doing things, the reason why I said what I said, or the reason why I got that attitude that I got. These things are hard for us as humans alone to distinguish. But God's word is sharp enough to distinguish between those things. God's word is so sharp, it's able to penetrate all the way down to the bottom of who you are, the depths of your soul, the depths of your spirit. Nothing is hidden from him, the passage goes on to say. Nothing in all creation is hidden from him. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. So th- there's nothing about you he doesn't know. There's nothing hidden inside you that he doesn't see. And that strikes terror in some people. But it also can bring joy when you feel like nobody knows you. Nobody understands you. And we're going to talk about that as, as we go through Hebrews. Our high priest, Jesus, he knows. He understands. He went through similar temptations as we go through. He understands because he lived here and he died here and he rose again victorious through this life. So God's word, it penetrates to the heart of us, of a person. And when it penetrates, it can cause change. Often we think, oh, I'm never going to change. I've always been this way. My mother was this way. My father was this way. I'll always be this way. That is not true. That is a lie. God can change you if that thing needs to be changed. You are not stuck the way you are. And the amazing thing about God's sharp, sharp sword, his word, is that it doesn't cause physical scars. He is precise with it. He's perfect with it. You ever seen somebody who's had surgery and their, their scars, and their surgeon was so good that you can't even see where the, where the cut went in, right? God is so good. It's interesting, we hear about this cutting, actually, when the gospel is being preached for the first time in the book of Acts, after Peter addresses the whole uh, city that has come because of Pentecost, and when he addresses that crowd, it says, when they heard the message of the gospel, they were cut to the heart, right? And they said, now what should we do? Now that this is, this has come in, this truth has come into our lives and exposed us for who we really are. Now what should we do? And do you remember what he said? Repent, which means turn to God. Turn away from your unbelief and turn to God. You see, this two-edged sword is able to cut two ways. To expose is one cut, because you've got to get in there to see what's in there. Right, so let's think about surgery, that's probably the, or cutting a chicken, right? We all kind of know, you know, where's the dark meat, right? There's, there is some distinguishing between that. But for a surgeon, for the, a precise, they, they have to cut, and they do it very carefully and skillfully. And then once they're where they should be, whatever layer they're working on, and it's been exposed, then they judge. They say, oh, what's going on in here? Oh, there's the tumor. Oh, there's the problem, right? So that's, that's the judgment that's taking place. And God's sword, when he penetrates with his word into our soul, into our spirit, into our thoughts, into our attitudes, what he's looking for is two things. He's looking whether you believe in him and his word and his promises, or whether you don't believe, or whether you don't value His words and His promises, because that's what the people who cannot enter God's rest and never will, they did not value God's word, His promises. They would not trust in it. And so they didn't cross over into the promised land, did they? He said, Because you won't trust me, you won't go in. So God is looking for that in our lives. He's looking for your faith, for your belief, for your trust in His promises. And sometimes he finds unbelief. He finds disobedience. He finds rebellion. And he judges between the two. His word has that power. This explains why the same word can be heard by an unbeliever and a believer and have two totally different results. Often when an unbeliever hears the word of God, they immediately feel guilt and shame and condemnation. But when a believer hears the word of God, they should hear an invitation to turn around. Get off that path. Come back here to me. You know, let let me help you. You know, give me that burden. Walk with me. Come closer to me. Two different results. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 2.16, when Paul's speaking of the gospel, he says, To one it is the fragrance from death to death. But to the other, it is the fragrance from life to life. The gospel, the word of God. See, the gospel has these two sides. We often introduce it to people by saying there's good news and bad news. Which do you want first, right? The bad news is, for we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death. But the good news... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? So the good news and the bad news, it's like two sides of the same knife, the double-edged knife, right? See, this sword, it penetrates very, very deeply. Sometimes we can perceive it with our minds. Other times we just know that God's at work in some area of my life. I can sense it, but I don't know what it is because you're not the surgeon, You're not the one in charge of that work. He's working on us, and he's faithful to that work, and he'll bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. God's word is so sharp that it penetrates the hard stuff. Now, let's talk about the hard stuff. It's hard stuff in all of our lives. It might have been your upbringing. It might be where you're at right now in your marriage or with your kids. It might be what's going on at your job. It might be some internal things, some depression, some some discouragement. These hard things. God's word is so sharp, it can penetrate through that. It can penetrate and expose and bring light and bring healing into those areas. When God's word comes to us and we allow the spirit to use it, it does two things. It celebrates the truth, the things that you already know about Christ. It celebrates those things. But it also brings correction to the lies. The things that aren't true according to God's word. Whether it's true about you or true about that person or true about what's happening in this world. There's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of lies inside here sometimes. You've let them in. They've taken root. And God's word comes in and pulls them out by the root because he's able to. He, He is sharp enough to do that. It's like he takes a ruler and lines it up against our spirit and our soul to see, are you believing? Are you trusting in me? Do you take me for my word? Do you know that I am true to my word and I never lie? Scripture tells us God cannot lie, for he's not a man or a woman like us. You've got to grasp this before we get into another section of what I want to share with you this morning. I want you to understand judgment is not condemnation in a Christian's life. Judgment is like you want to buy a used car, you see the ad, it says all the nice things, and then you go to visit the car and you look under the hood and you look around the the back and, and you're judging, is this a car that's worthy of my money? Is this a car that I want to buy, right? So that's a judgment. It's not a condemnation. Now, you may walk away from it, but you may also say, okay, you know, I can fix that. That's not bad. There's not a lot wrong with it. It really is fairly true what they said, right? So so that's judgment. It's not always negative. It's not condemnation. Sometimes it leads to you buying the car. Like, oh, this is a good car. This is going to last me a long time. This is going to be fun to drive, right? So your judgment can go one way or the other. This is the same way that God uses His Word in our lives. He's helping us to, to sort out who we are in Christ, to become fully His as He sanctifies us by His Word. I want you to see this in 2 Timothy 4 2, it says, Preach the Word, be prepared in season and out of season, and here's what you do when you preach the Word you correct. You rebuke and you encourage and you've got to have great patience and careful instruction. When speaking about the word and not just from preachers, you need to preach it to yourself by reading it to yourself, by meditating on it. You've got to realize it's going to correct you. Now, if you want correction, then you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you don't want correction, I wonder about you. I wonder. Because if you don't want correction, it kind of means you don't think you need correction, which kind of means you think you got it all together, which kind of means you don't really need God's help. You're fine the way you are. To me, that is not a disciple of Jesus Christ no way it doesn't pass the sniff test right that don't smell right we as disciples of christ we come humbly before him and humbly before his word and we let it do its work in our lives we know we're not perfect scripture's clear about that we will not be that way until we meet him face to face until the complete restoration of our souls and our spirits is finished And that can only be done in the presence of God. In the final day or when it's your final day. When you come into his presence and he completes the work that Christ has already begun and you've put your faith in to complete. So preaching the word in season and out of season allows it to correct, rebuke, and encourage us. And if we study Jesus closely, we find that he does this. I want to give you one example from the Gospels and then we're going to go into the book of Revelation. But do you, you all know the story of Peter? Peter the disciple, right? Peter was the first to really understand and proclaim who the Christ was. When Christ said, who do you say that I am? He, Peter gave the right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of God. You know, you, like, I get it. So Peter, at that point, was accepted, right? Christ said to him, wow, upon that rock, I will build my church. Upon that truth, that I am the Messiah, I will build my church. Good job. But Peter followed Jesus a little bit longer. Jesus gets arrested. Jesus is in, in the, wherever they took him, quite, quite remember the name of it, but he's in there with the Sadducees and Pharisees, and there's this thing going on, and Peter's outside, with all the people that are gathered around a fire. And Peter, Peter doesn't stay true to Christ. When a, a, a little slave girl says, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? He goes, no, no, I don't, I don't know him at all. I don't understand him at all, right? I, I, I'm not even from that part of the country, right? So he lies. He doesn't want to be associated with Christ. So, Christ is able to restore him finally to ministry. We see that as we follow that story through the Gospels. So, when we're getting it, when we understand by God's revelation, by His Spirit, by His Word, who we are and who Christ is, God is there for us. When we don't get it, God is still there for us. I want you to understand that as believers. You're not going to fall out of God's grace his grace is sufficient for you and for me. So let's look now at, at the striking image that Christ takes in the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation was a, a revelation that was given to the apostle John, right? And, and he, was, he was brought into the very presence of God, the very, the very throne room in heaven, and he's able to see things that, that we've never seen. We will one day, but we, we've never seen them. And he sees Christ there. In the book of Revelation, Christ is described again and again and again as having a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now, I, I don't know why, but that is the description of Christ in the book of Revelation. Let me, let me prove it to you. In Revelation one sixteen, it says, Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. In Revelation nineteen twelve, it says his eyes are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns, and out of his mouth, verse fifteen, comes a sharp sword. Revelation two twelve, these are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. That could be that could be said uh, in a scary way, right? I know where you live, right? <laughs> he 's not saying it that way, <laughs> I know where you live right so so as we as we see Jesus in the book of revelation he 's described as having a sharp sword coming from his mouth, a double edged sword now there's this interesting phrase that Jesus uses when he 's speaking in the gospels it's, it's recorded in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter ten verse thirty four i 've never really understood it, but in this Quote, this phrase, this thing that's remembered by the disciples, by the power of the Spirit, Jesus said, I have come to bring a sword. Now we know that was not a military soldier materialistic thing, it was his word his word which is sharp, his word which is able to cut deep into us and expose what needs to be exposed so it can be healed and it can be restored to rest in God, to the place where we were intended to dwell with God. As I said earlier, John chapter one says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our passage here in Hebrews 4.12 equates Jesus, the word of God is alive and active. He's sharper than any two-edged sword. So when in the word, we can expect that Jesus is there and he's going to correct and teach and rebuke and encourage us. That's our experience in the word as believers. I hope you've had that experience. If not, get some discipleship. Ask someone to help you to understand the word of God so that it will do the work that it's intended to do. Don't read this book like it's any other book. There's not Harlequin romance or anything like that here. This is the word of God, right? So we learn best by experiencing. This is true. We, we brought the chicken so you won't forget, right? The double-edged sword, right? So we learn best from experience. There's phrases for this experiential learning where you go out and you, you, you learn maybe about the forest by being in the forest, So as I was praying about this passage and I was praying about you as as the people of God who are going to hear this preached, I really feel led by God that we need to experience this. We need to immerse ourselves with the sword, with the sharp sword. Now, don't be afraid. You can stay right where you are. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy, but I'm going to ask you to engage in these scriptures because there's three things that happen when Jesus speaks to the church in Revelation. He encourages them. He does rebuke those who need a rebuke. And then he he gives them the the correction that they need, the, the, the direction that they need. See, correction is really like, no, don't do that, do this. We often just think of one side of correction. We often think like, oh, don't do that, Laura. Laura, why'd you do that? Right? Instead of, Laura, don't do that, do this. Right? The full correction and teaching comes when you, when you switch and you say, okay, I'll stop doing it that way. I'll do it this way. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It doesn't just say, don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. If you've heard that message, that's not the full gospel. That's a broken gospel. That's half a gospel, which is no gospel at all, as Paul has taught us, right? So we're going to look at some verses. I've, I've sort of just drawn them out uh, in my notes here. From Revelation chapter 2 and 3. In those two chapters, we know that the Spirit is speaking to certain churches. Ephesus, Laodicea. So you're familiar with that, maybe. But if not, you can get yourself familiar with that. I want to remind you that in these verses, Jesus himself says, with that sharp sword that he has. He says... He who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's our prayer here this morning. So first, open your soul, open your spirit to hear the word of Jesus as he speaks to the churches. Remember, nothing's hidden from God. He sees the real you, and he loves you anyway. So first, Jesus encourages. If you look at the beginning of these passages, these, these words to the churches, I'll read some of the, the encouraging words. These words may be applied to you this morning. You may need to hear these words in your spirit and let them in deep, deep in your soul. If the spirit speaks directly to you, acknowledge it. Say thank you. Jot it down, whatever, right? But acknowledge it. It's 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 the word of God, it's not my word, it's the word of God. So I'll just quickly go through the encouraging passages. In chapter two, verse two, Jesus says, I know your deeds, you work hard, and you have persevered, and you have not grown weary. In two nine, he says, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. Yet in my eyes, you are rich. In 2.13, he says, I know where you live. It's not an easy place to live. In fact, it's described as where Satan has his throne. Yet, even though you live in that difficult place, you remain true to my word, to my name. That's an encouragement. Even though they're in a very, very tough place to live, they remain true to him. In 2.19, he says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. In other words, you've, you've increased, you've grown. In 3.8, he says to the church, I know that you have little strength left, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. He understands us. He knows where we're at, how much strength we got left. He can see it because he can see all the way to the depths of who you are and who I am. You see, this is one side of judgment. He's looking and saying, I see these good things. I see your faith. I see your perseverance. I see that you're tired, that you live in a tough place, but you've remained faithful. This is the good that has been judged in these churches and I'm sure it feels good if the Holy Spirit has spoken any of these words directly to you today. But this is one side of the sword. The encouraging side. The good thing is that encouragement cuts through fear, cuts through discouragement, cuts through exhaustion, cuts through frustration. Encouragement brings us up and out of those places so that we can continue to go on. And in light of encouragement, it motivates us to keep going. Because though through it, we know that Jesus is seeing us. He sees our situation and he approves of us. He sees that we're growing, or we're struggling, and that we're 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 holding on. Because honestly, we're all looking for approval. I think God designed us to live in a relationship where someone encourages us on a regular basis. Those of you who have lived in an environment, a home, or your working situation is all discouragement all the time. It just it destroys your spirit. It's so heavy and so hard. That is not the way God created us to live. And so the the word of God is meant to encourage you and we are to speak those words of encouragement to each other so that we can make it through the hard times. So we know that that's one part of the sword and it's a very important and sharp part of the sword and it's a very effective part of the sword. But now listen to the holy voice of Jesus as he speaks to the churches on the other side of that blade. This would be called rebuke. However, the other side of this sword is an evaluation of, of what needs to change, what needs to be left behind, what needs to be repented of, what needs to be turned away from, what needs to be cut off in our lives. But this is for our good. This is not condemnation. This is meant to correct us and get us back on the right track so that we live in the rest That God has given us that place of peace, regardless of our situation, that place of, of joy, even though the things around us are not the, the source of that joy. We are, we are brought to this place through, through rebuke, through correction, so that we can walk with Christ more closely. You see, Jesus started with the positive with these churches, and I think that's a good habit for us. Always start with the positive. But now listen to the sharp sword of our Savior, Jesus, as he points out to the churches what needs to change. If he speaks to you, if he speaks to me, listen, acknowledge it, say thank you, jot it down, remember it. In Revelation 2, 4, he says, yet I I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. In 2.10, he says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer persecution. In 2.14, he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. After he's told them what he encourages in them, he has a few things he wants to mention. One is that they're holding on to some false teachings. And the other is that there are those among them living in sexual immorality, and they're doing nothing about it. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but actually you're dead. Wake up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. And finally, probably the most familiar to us because it's from Revelations 3.15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. These are the words of Jesus. These are sharp. Don't they feel sharp when you hear them? And you're hoping they're not directed at you, but they may be, and that would be by his grace. He tells us what to do to get back on track. So he points out what's encouragement. He points out what needs to change. And then he tells us what to do. This is the third part. This is the correction, like I was saying before. He doesn't just point it out and walk away. He points it out and says, do this. So he tells us what to do to get back on track so that we can live in that abundant life, that place of rest with him now and rest with him in eternity. He says in chapter two, verse five, repent and do the things that you did at first. 2.10, he says, be faithful even to the point of death. In 2.16, he says, repent, otherwise I will soon come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In 2.25, he says, hold on to what you have until I come. Don't give up. In 3, verse 3, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey and repent. Repent. And in 3.11, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. These are the words of Jesus. This is the two-edged sword that comes from his mouth. Now, if we never heard correction, we would be a bunch of spoiled brats. And we'd be on the wrong road for eternity. We have to hear correction. Correction is what helps us to grow, helps us to change, helps us to be reformed and to be more like Christ and less like our sin nature. That's what correction is for. So when we receive correction, we should say thank you. God's Spirit has been given to us so that we don't end up with the spoiled child syndrome, right? The temper tantrums, the bad behavior, the refusal to comply with even simple results, simple tasks, We don't want to be overindulged and narcissistic and egocentric, do we? Those aren't disciples. They're disciples of something else, but not of Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow and mature and be productive members of the human race who bring encouragement with them and blessing with them so that the world would know who Jesus is. I know it's difficult maybe to hear this message, but it's the truth. And the beauty of it is that it goes together. that that he's encouraging us and he's rebuking us and correcting us at the same time because he loves us. The reason I know this is true because if you continue to read in Revelation chapter three, verses 19 through 22. Now don't miss this. This is for the church. He's speaking to churches, not unbelievers. Listen to these words with your soul, with your spirit. Verse 19, chapter three. Those who I love, I rebuke. Those who I love, I discipline. So be earnest and repent. For here I am. I stand at your door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What a beautiful invitation to allow Jesus to work in our lives on a deeper and more intimate level. Verse 21 says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Father God, we thank you for your word. We know it's sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. But Lord, we want it in our lives. We need it in our lives. So Jesus, continue to speak to us by your spirit and through your word we pray. Amen. Amen.